Today I rode to church with my son, um, which I do almost every Sunday, except this Sunday he drove because he got his permit um, on Friday. And he, and he asked me, he said, Dad, can I drive to church this morning? And I thought, you know what? We'll go to church or go to heaven, so why not? It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Here we go. And we got here. So, Christian, good job um, getting us here this morning. Uh, Danielle and I started talking about our, you know, our kids driving and having cars. And she's like, what did you drive when you were 16? Do you remember your first car or the first car you were allowed to drive? Um, I told Danielle I didn't get a car. I drove one of my mom and dad's. And I drove what affectionately became known in our family as the Deermobile. Um, and you say, what is like, what is a deer mobile? Like I was raised in kind of the sticks of Southern Ohio, but a deer mobile sounds especially redneck. What is a deer mobile? And I said, well, my mom and dad had me run an errand for them when I was 16, had me run to the grocery store late one night and I hit a deer. And I mean, I like demolished a deer with my parents' car to the point where hubcap fell off, front left panel of the car fell off, like the front door got smashed in like so bad that you had to weigh like at least 125 pounds to get the door open. And then it was really loud. And when I came home, my parents were like, you know, that costs more to fix than the car's worth. So, you know, like it's yours. Toss the key. So I drove the Deermobile um, until I graduated from high school and went to college. But I found out there's something spiritual about the strategy of having your kids run errands for you while they're out. Like if you say, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most about your kids having license, uh, having their license. I'm looking forward to having, to, to making my kids do for me what Danielle now makes me do for her. It's like, you know, hey, while you're out, pick up this, while you're out, pick up this. Hey, if you could run the store and get this, it's like, I'm looking forward to delegating that task to my kids. And there's something spiritual about that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. I'm going to show you why that is a spiritual thought. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me, uh, or you can fire up our Journey Church International app, all of our Verses and all the, the notes from today will be on that. Make sure you reach in your bulletin, pull out your notes so you can follow along. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is giving like his final message of instruction to his disciples. To catch you up on his life, he's been born. We've had Christmas. He has died and been buried and raised again. We've had Easter. His, his life and ministry is coming to an end. We're about six weeks after he has raised from the dead, around 40 days. And he gets his disciples together one more time to give them this very important message about the future. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Really important text with some really important teaching. But as I read it this week, I was gripped by a couple words in verse 17 that I want to show you today. I want to give you permission spiritually today through verse 17. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, The eleven disciples gathered with Jesus, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Do you ever have spiritual doubts? Do, Do you think your spiritual doubts make you a bad Christian? or maybe not a Christian at all, or that God can't use you because sometimes you wonder, is this all real? Like, I want you to picture this scenario in your head. Jesus' disciples, these 11 people had seen him crucified. They had seen him buried. They had seen him raise again. They had eaten meals with him. And 40 days after the fact, they're looking at him still thinking, how is any of this possible? I mean, this is like, this is crazy. We saw this guy die Yet here he is. If the 11 original disciples 
follow Jesus, but with some doubts, wouldn't it only seem natural that Christians 2,000 years later, as they follow Jesus, would have some doubts every now and then? I mean, if we've never seen him, isn't there going to be sometimes a disconnect between the supernatural and natural where we have thoughts of, like, is this really real? Can this really be happening? Because the story is so much outside of what we know and understand to be true. You know you can't have faith unless you have doubt. And you can't have faith unless you overcome doubt. Faith is not belief in place of doubt. Faith is belief in the face of doubt. So we see these disciples who are listening to Jesus thinking, how is any of this possible? But it is, and we see Jesus say this in verse 18. I want you to see this because it's really important. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know what that verse means? Jesus says, I'm in control of everything. I have the right to do anything and everything. I have total control of the universe. And Jesus said, here is my plan. Knowing that I can do anything, here is going to be my plan and my strategy to really help people understand who God is. And he gives Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Now, these two verses in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, they're known as the great commission of the Christian world. The great commission. You say, well, what's the great commission? Take the C-O-M off the word commission. Basically, Matthew 28, 29 is the great mission. It's the great purpose. It's the marching orders of Jesus to his church. Jesus is saying, Here's the purpose of this whole thing moving forward. And here, like Tom Cruise has said to him several times in Mission Impossible movies, here is your mission if you choose to accept it. Verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go. In verse 19, circle that word go. It's a very misunderstood word. And it may be the reason you're not on mission. It may be the reason you're not fulfilling Jesus' strategy because you said, I'm not really, a, you know, I'm not really a goer. Um, like that, you know, people who like become missionaries, people who become pastors, like people who leave everything behind to follow Jesus, like they're the ones who are supposed to make disciples. I'm just a regular person. Like I've never really gone anywhere. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to live my life. Well, if that's what go means, then you're off the hook. But that's not what go means. You see, the original Bible wasn't written in English. Matthew 28 wasn't originally spoken in English. It was written in a language called Koine Greek. The word Koine means common. Alexander the Great, when he conquered most of the Mediterranean world, had this marching order for his people. He said, I want to be able to ride a horse into any territory that we own, and I want to get off my horse, and I want to speak to that community without having to use an interpreter because I don't know what they'll be saying in my place. So teach everyone in the world that I oversee a language that can be written and spoken by me. I don't want to learn a new language, so teach all of them mine. So the entire world knew Koine Common Greek. It was the English of its day. If you'd have gone to an airport 2,000 years ago, it would have had the language of the country that it was in, and it would have had Koine Greek. Like, everyone spoke it, and Jesus would have used that language to communicate to these disciples, and he didn't say go. He used a word in Greek that was a different verb tense, and literally go is better translated as you're going. Or, or to put it another way, it basically could be said while you're out. Like Jesus told his disciples, listen, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. But as you go, as you leave here, like while you're living your life, while you're out, help people know who I am. You see, Jesus' strategy to reach the world is 
Very simple. Jesus said, I could choose to do it any way I want to, but here's how I want to do it. While Christians go about living their lives, people will find out who Jesus is and how to connect with him as their spiritual leader. As they go be school teachers, as they go be coaches, as they go be doctors and lawyers and dentists and construction workers and road workers, and, and they, they develop skill in trades, and as they're stay-at-home dads and stay-at-home moms, um, as they fly airplanes, as they farm, as they work with animals, like whatever you do, as you go live your life, make sure and show people who Jesus is. Whatever you do, just make sure you show people who Jesus is. See, Jesus' strategy involves all of us. Jesus says, as you leave church today to go do whatever you do this week, help people know who Jesus is as you live your life. Two questions for you. How's that going for you? How's that working for you? If you're a Christian today, and not everyone in here is, I'm sure, but if you are, it's working really good for you. At some point in your life, you ran into someone who was a Christian. Maybe mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, pastor, coach, teacher, um, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend. You started dating someone whose family was a Christian and made you come to church with them. Like at some point you ran into a Christian that showed you who Jesus was and you became a Christian. It's working good for you. Jesus' strategy works for you. But if you're a Christian, how's it working from you? So what do you mean? Well, how's the next generation? Like it works for you. If you know who Jesus is, it worked for you. But who after you will know who Jesus is because of you? and the way you live your life. See, I believe there are two real keys to the strategy of the great commission or the great mission of Jesus working. I've been struggling with this text for more than six weeks trying to understand, Jesus, how do I teach this in a way that will help everyone remember it forever? Simply enough, yet profound enough that everyone will remember it forever. And I feel like Jesus said there's two real keys for every Christian when it comes to the great mission of Jesus. Number one, they've got to be aware of Jesus' strategy. They have to know this is the way it works. They have to know that Jesus said, here's my idea. Christians are going to show Jesus to the world. Now, there's some real good news and some bad news about this strategy. The good news is the strategy's working. It's 2,000 years later. We're still here talking about Jesus. And people all over the world every Sunday are talking about Jesus. Good news, the strategy's working. But there's some bad news. And the bad news is that the strategy is working. So how can that be good news and bad news, Christian? That doesn't even make sense. Well, here's why it's good news and bad news. Every day, people are forming opinions about who Jesus is through your life. And some of you are great representations of Jesus. He has so changed and transformed and sunk into the DNA of your life that it is great news that people are looking at you to figure out who Jesus is because you're giving them a great representation of who Jesus is. Good news. But others of us, and I say us, I have good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good seasons, bad seasons. Others of us are very poor representations of who Jesus is. The way we talk to our spouse is not the way that Jesus would ever talk to his. The way we parent our kids is not the way Jesus would ever parent his. The way we do things at work, the way we go out on the weekends, those are not things that Jesus would do. Yet we call ourselves a Christian and people are looking at us to figure out who Jesus is and we're giving them a very bad picture of who Jesus is. That's very, very bad news. You know, I read this week that a fraternity at Richmond University got suspended, the Kappa Alpha fraternity. Maybe you read the story because they threw the party that was supposed to be the greatest party ever in the history of Richmond University. And they sent out an email to everyone who is engaged in their fraternity. And they said, the goal of this weekend, the the goal of this weekend's party is to be so epic 
and to go so far that this will be the type of night that makes fathers afraid to send their daughters away to college because of guys like us and nights like this. University caught wind of the email and they said, that's not why we have fraternities and sororities and they suspended them. Then the national chapter found out about it and said, that's not the purpose of our sorority, so you're out. You don't represent us well. What if Jesus did the same thing as this national chapter and every time you really got it wrong, he sent you a letter and said, you're out. You were out of the fraternity called Christianity because you are not representing who I am and what I stand for. Thank God he doesn't do that because I promise you my letter's sitting in the mailbox for something I did this week. Make me not want to check the mail. So Jesus doesn't do that. But knowing that people base their opinions of Jesus on us, that has to get our attention. Maybe you're in here today and you are skeptical spiritually. You would refer to yourself as a skeptic. You're not a Christian. You're a skeptic of Christianity, of organized religion. Are you a skeptic of Jesus? Or somebody you've met who says they represent Jesus? Maybe you're a critic today of Christianity and of churches. you got a lot of really valid criticisms. Are those from the life and ministry of Jesus that you've studied or the life and ministry of a Christian that they said represented Jesus or a church that maybe just got it wrong because it's led by humans? Maybe you're in here and you're like a quitter spiritually, like you used to follow Jesus, but you've quit. You've dropped out of the fraternity and sorority of Christianity. Is it because Jesus really let you down or somewhere along the way some Christian who claimed to represent Jesus, some pastor who claimed to speak for Jesus got it wrong? You see, when I see Jesus' strategy and I have an awareness of Jesus' strategy and how He wants to reach the world, it challenges me to be a better Christian. And it gives the world a better picture of who Jesus is. I mean, I look back on the strategy and think, man, maybe maybe Jesus, you should have had another strategy. I like, why would you do this one? Why would you put the future expansion of the kingdom of God in the hands of just people who could mess it up? And then I went back and read again, and I realized he didn't. Jesus didn't put the kingdom in the hands of Christians who could mess it up. As a matter of fact, he told disciples to make disciples. This is a key element of this text in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. There were lots of people who followed Jesus around in life. There were lots of people who were aware of Jesus and they were called lots of things. But a disciple was a specific type of person. These 11 men who Jesus was talking to, they had followed Jesus every day for the last three years at least. He was the most important things in their life. They had decided that everything else was going to be secondary to following Jesus and that everything they learned from him, they would put into practice and everything they were, they would change if Jesus says you should be better. Like Jesus had become the the leader of their life. They didn't just follow him around. They followed all of his teaching. They were becoming like him in their spirits. A disciple, the best translation for disciple that I got from one of my seminary professors years ago is that a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Would you refer to yourself today as a fully devoted, all-in follower of Jesus? You see, Jesus knew his mission and strategy was safe with these people because he knew the level of their commitment and he knew how close they were to him. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't call churches to make converts. That wasn't the strategy. Preach a gospel on Christmas and Easter so a bunch of people raise their hands. It's important, but it's not the strategy. 
He didn't call uncommitted Christians for sure to turn off the whole world spiritually by acting crazy or by saying things that really weren't great representations of who Jesus was. He called disciples to make disciples. So last weekend, my pastor was in town from Atlanta, Georgia, who helped us start our church, Pastor Brian Beloy. And we were out having dinner on Saturday and he said, just tell me about the church. And I told him about five years in our church. And, you know, I said, man, more than a thousand people now have made spiritual decisions at our church in the last five years. And he said, man, that's great. A thousand decisions. He said, how many disciples do you have? And I said, I don't know. He said, one day you're going to stop counting decisions and you're going to start counting disciples because that's what's going to matter most to you. How many disciples do you have? So I'm not even sure how, like how we would measure that right now. And he said, well, do you have anyone in your church who they, they've been there for three or four or five years and who they are now is radically different than who they were. Their devotion has grown. I said, yeah, we have a lot of those. He said, then you have some disciples. But he said, do you have anyone in your church who maybe is going to come in for three, four, five years and you talk to them and they're the exact same person. They've got the exact same commitment level. Really nothing is happening in their faith. I said, yeah, I think we probably have a lot of those too. Then he said, you've got some disciple challenges. And he said, you know, after Christian, you've been in it 20 years like, like I have. He said, it's the spiritual decisions that keep you awake at night because you wonder, did they mean it? Where'd they go? What happened? And it's the disciples that give your heart the most joy because you look at someone walking closer with Jesus and you think, that's the reason I do what I do. So how do you become a disciple? Well, the Great Commission gives us three steps that I mean are just kind of common steps. Maybe you can look at your life just through these three. Number one, we meet a group of people in verses 16, 17, and 18 who met and have closely and consistently followed Jesus. So that that's one good definition of a disciple. The disciples, the 11 disciples came to Jesus. So what is a disciple? It's a, it's a person who meets and closely and consistently follows Jesus. How's your life look based on that definition? A lot of you in here have met Jesus. So, okay, check that one. Do you closely follow him? Sometimes. Do you consistently follow him? Not enough. So does your life look like a disciple? Secondly, this is an interesting step, but it's a big one. People get baptized. People who are disciples, they get baptized. Jesus said, you're going to tell them about me, and then they're going to get baptized. They're publicly going to stand up in front of people, and they're going to declare their faith, and they're going to follow me. If you haven't done that yet, our Christmas baptisms are Sunday, December 18th. I'd encourage you to take a connection card today and say, hey, I need to do that. We can talk about it for 90 days. And then number three, Jesus said, a disciple will learn and obey my teaching. A disciple will learn and obey my teaching. So a lot of Christians know Jesus' teaching. Not everyone who knows follows all of it. So we see a gap between a decision and a disciple. Are you a disciple today by these three steps? Are you moving that direction in your life? Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Are you all in? Because listen, it's going to take people that look like that to make people who look like that. Let me say it again in case you missed that. It's going to take people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus to make people who become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Or let me say it another way. If the whole world for the rest of time follows Jesus to the level that you follow Jesus, is the world better spiritually or worse spiritually? Like if you're, if you're the designated survivor, right? Jack Bauer changed his name and he's on a new show. It's a good show. You should watch it on Wednesday night. If you're like the designated Christian, the only one left, 
And the whole world now gets to adopt your Christianity. Does it look anything like Jesus? Does it look anything like the disciples? Or are we way off? Let me ask it this way. Hey, hey mom, if every Christian mother prepares their daughter for purity and then protects it the way that you do, next generation of Christian girls is going to look better or worse than this generation. Let me ask it this way, dad. If the only way your son ever learns to pray is praying just like you pray, Will they 30 years from now stop their family in the midst of a tense moment and say, guys, let's just stop and pray because they've seen their dad do it over and over and over again? Will the next generation even know that you're supposed to pray on your knees based on this generation from time to time in moments of desperation? For those of you who are bosses that run companies, do all your employees forever and ever want to work for a company that has a Christian boss because of the way you acted? Or do they never want to work for a Christian again? And for those of you who are an employee of a company, as a Christian, does your boss want to hire everyone like you or no one like you? Do you make people think well of Jesus or less of Jesus? Because that's how the strategy works. And when we become aware of that, it changes things. And when we get really committed to that, number two, we get intentional about that. So I feel like Jesus wanted me to tell you today, be aware of the strategy. Every day you're carrying it out, whether you know it or not, you are. So since you are, let's be intentional about it. Do you know that real ministry always begins outside of the church? I actually don't believe that most people who are not associated with church would ever even come to church until they have a positive interaction with a Christian or a church or a ministry. Like I think most people would never even enter the doors of a church unless they knew a Christian they respected, they knew a Christian they trusted, they had seen on a TV, a, you know, a church organization doing something good in the community, they'd seen a, a group of people serving one another. Like I, I don't think people ever come into the church until they've been exposed to positive Christianity outside of the church. That's why I loved it when I heard a pastor say one time, Christians have to be good news before they can share good news. Christians have to be good news. Like people have to look at their life and think something is awesome about their life. That's not awesome about my life. Do people look at your life and think something's going on with them? That's not going on with me. Do you carry good news around in your DNA? Y'all know people like this. They call you and when they're, when, regardless of what's going on in your day, when their name pops up on your phone, you answer it because that's a good news person. Regardless of what's going on in your world, unless you're driving, son, when their name texts up on the text message deal, you, you want to read it because that's a good news person. When you see them walking down the hallway, you clear what's going on and you hope they stop into your office for 60 seconds because that's a good news person. Or are you a bad news person? We all have them right? Some of you have names for them in your phone. So when it rings, you're like, bad news person. Like, you know, I don't have 75 minutes for this phone call today. See someone walking down the hallway and you grab your phone real quick. It's like, you know, hey, I'll get back. You know, like you're not even talking to anyone. Bad news people. You see, when Christians become the good news in their life, people are more interested in hearing the good news from their mouth. Right now, Pastor Ryan is leading all of our small groups through a a Bible study called Contagious Christianity All Fall Along, which all it is is practical lessons of how to make your Christianity attractive in everyday life. Some of you don't have time to be in small groups, but do you know that we have a virtual small group 
where you can sign up and every week Pastor Ryan will send you an email link of like a 10-minute teaching and the video notes. So even if you only have 30 minutes on your own during the week, you can at least take this content and learn how to make your Christian life attractive to the world. Some of you today, like your very next step is to take a connection card and just write on it, virtual group on the back. Send me that information. I want to learn how to make my life look attractive spiritually. Why? Why is it so important to be intentional? Listen closely. People who have a relationship with you, but don't have a relationship with Jesus, are in your life for a reason. Let me say that again, in case you missed the strategy. People who have a relationship with you, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus, are in your life for a reason, for a purpose. Those are the people for whom the strategy is intended. I don't know Jesus, but I do know you, and you know Jesus So just by knowing you, I'm going to get to know a little bit about Jesus. You should see these people in your life as if they're glowing. When they walk up on you, you should see this person knows me, but they don't know Jesus. So today I'm going to be on my best behavior always for them because I want them to see the proper Jesus in me. Who are the people in your life? I have a relationship with them. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. Holy cow, I'm not stuck in the middle by coincidence, but this is Jesus' strategy to reach this person with the gospel. You know, one of the great parts of the strategy is also one of the great places of tension in the Christian life. And here's what I'm finding. So often in Christianity, this is where the strategy is breaking down. Most of the people that I know who are some of the strongest Christians, like they give the best look of of Jesus to people, For some reason, they have decided to divorce every relationship they have with someone who's not a Christian. And like some of the strongest Christians I know, they only hang out with other strong Christians. And like their faith is growing, but the world can't see it because for some reason they've chosen not to live in relationship with people who are not Christians. Whether they're judging them, they just don't like them. I don't know why Christians would divorce every relationship we have from non-Christians. The strategy doesn't work when we do that. But a lot of really strong Christians... They choose to only hang out with other really strong Christians. It kills the strategy. The other side of that coin is this. Most Christians who have great relationships with people who aren't Christians, when they're around them, they don't act like Christians. They act like them. So you've got this strategy breaking down because people who show Jesus well, they don't want to be friends with people who aren't Christians yet. And people who have a bunch of friends who are not Christians, when when they're with them, they don't act like Jesus. They act like them. And it's like we have this massive void where the world isn't hearing about Jesus unless some preacher talks to him. But that's not the strategy of Jesus. He wants your life connected to people who can be impacted. So well, how do I do that? Well, for, for those of you in here who want to become really intentional, here's what I have learned. And I think I can give you some good tips today. Your life is a window into who Jesus is. Like when people look at you, they're seeing things about Jesus. But your conversations are doors that invite people deeper into what Jesus can be for them, who Jesus can be to them. Like people are looking at you and they're making assumptions about Jesus. But when they talk to you, you've got an invitation to invite them a little deeper. So what are some spiritual conversation tips? I promise you this week, if you use these, you will end up in some spiritual conversation with somebody who's not a Christian. I promise you, if you use these, you'll start having spiritual conversations more and more with people who don't know Jesus. Number one, use spiritual replies rather than standard replies in everyday conversations. Now, I don't mean spiritual jargon. 
If someone says, hey, how's it going? You're like, great, brother, God bless you. They're gone. Like, hey, that, that's over. That, that's gone. You've lost them. You know, kiss it goodbye. Here's what I mean by that. Spiritual replies. Hey, how was your weekend? Man, it was, it was great. It was busy. Son had a baseball game. Um, you know, on Saturday, I had to clean out the garage and do some mulch. On Sunday, I had a great day at church. Uh, it was busy. And you just stop. Maybe they'll lean in. Maybe they won't. But you've opened the door. See a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. Hey, how's life going? It's going really good. You know, marriage has been hard, but it's hanging in there. My kids are doing great in school. My spiritual life is really strong right now. And then you just, you just let it go. Spiritual reply, rather than a standard, will they lean in a little bit? You never know, but you're opening up a door saying, hey, I want to give you permission to ask me about my spiritual life, but I'm not going to force it on you. If you want to ask, you can ask. Secondly, I believe Christians should never be defensive, but that they should always be inquisitive. Like, you know God doesn't need you to defend him, right? Like, he's a big boy. He doesn't need you to punch someone in the mouth every time they say something that's offensive to you spiritually. Now, we should always have an answer, the Bible says, when people have questions. But I have found if we'll be inquisitive, not defending, say, what does that mean? So someone says, man, I hate Christians. So that's interesting. What, what happened? What happened that you hate Christians? I mean, I'm not going, I don't trust churches. All they want is your money. It's a really interesting perspective. Help me understand, like, why you believe. What, what happened that you believe that? Be inquisitive about things. You know, I'm just more of a scientific mind. I'm not a spiritual mind. It's interesting. Help me, help me understand, like, why, why do you see him so separately? Help me understand that. Instead of being so defensive all the time, start asking questions. You open doors for people. Third, don't have all the answers. Admit your spiritual journey. I love when people challenge me with a tough biblical fact. And they're like, man, I believe the Bible, but that one thing that happened in the Old Testament, man, that's just crazy. And I look at them and say, I agree with you. I've struggled with that one my whole life. But you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I still can't make sense of that. Now, if I'm right in my Christianity, one day I'm going to see Jesus, so I'm going to ask him. But I agree, that's just weird. I don't understand why in the Old Testament they do things this way and then the New Testament everything changed. Yeah, that's weird to me too. I get it. I had a professor in, in a youth ministry class I took one time that said the most devastating thing any Christian can do to someone who's not a Christian is to make up an answer to a question they don't know. He said, when kids come and ask you hard questions biblically, the best thing that you can do theologically is look at them and say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me try to find out the answer, or maybe we can go ask together. I don't know the answer to that. Some of you are going to have friends ask you questions. You're like, man, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe we can come to church, and I can ask my pastor. You're going to bring your friend to me, and we're going to talk here at the front. You say, hey, my friend has this question, and they're going to look at me and ask me. I'm going to be like, you know, that's a great question. I really don't know. And you're going to be like, well, thanks a lot, Christian. That helped, you know, that helped me tremendously. No. Here's what I'll tell them. I'm a Christian, but I still doubt too. I'm a Christian, but I don't know everything. I've chosen to place my faith in the face of doubt in who Jesus is and who he says I should be. And man, I'm on that journey with you, but that's a good question. Open the door for faith conversations. Number four, use what you've learned spiritually. People say, man, I'm really struggling in this area of my life. You say, man, I was there one time, but I did a 40-day kind of prayer journey and it helped. Don't force it on them, but don't hide it from them. Number five, use what you've experienced spiritually. 
know, man, my kids are just, I'm really struggling with my kids right now. They're getting, getting in trouble. They got arrested. Be honest, you know what? Man, when my kid was your age, they probably should have gotten arrested. They just didn't get caught. Let me tell you what we did. We went, we talked with our youth pastor. Um, I, I, I sent him or her to a summer camp and they had a good experience. Just share your spiritual experiences. Number six, use what you've heard about spiritually. You might have a friend who said, my parents are now in their 60s. They've been married 30, 40 years and they're getting ready to get divorced. And you can say, you know what? A couple in our small group, I, I go to church and a couple in my small group just had that exact thing happen. Parents are in their mid-60s and they're getting a divorce. Um, let me tell you how they're kind of handling it. And maybe I could even connect you guys for coffee sometime if you want. You see how ministry is easy if you're intentional? Just opening up doors. And then number seven, use what you've seen spiritually. Someone says, man, I, you know, I've got this person in my life and they're just an addict and I, I don't think they're going to make it. And you say, you know what, a few years ago on Easter, our church did this kind of testimony thing and there were several people who had been addicted to drugs and alcohol and, and kind of other things. And like just going to church really helped them. Maybe, maybe we could connect you. Just open the door to conversation. See, conversation opens a door. People don't have to step in. Sometimes they won't step in. You certainly don't want to drag them kicking and screaming in, but you want to open a door to let them know, hey, I am a safe place to have intentional spiritual conversations. Say, so, man, Christian, that's really good stuff. Where'd you learn that? The Bible. In Philippians 4 9, Paul told the church in Philippi, use everything that's ever happened to you spiritually to communicate with others. Paul said, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen, put it into practice. Practice it. Try it. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul said, hey, I don't know what's going to work this time, but anything you've ever experienced spiritually, just try it, practice it, and see if God will be with you as you intentionally try to pursue people. And listen, when the time is right, let your conversation become an invitation. When you can tell people are leaning in, when you can tell they're curious, when you can tell they're interested, invite them in deeper to understand who Jesus is. Invite them to church. Invite them to hear answers to their questions. You know, we say our mission as a church is that we exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We want our people engaged in relationships with people far from God so that we can help them understand who Jesus is. If Christians are not aware and intentional of pursuing people far from God, how will anyone ever connect to God? You know, it's why we handed out this brochure that probably very few of you even know how to use that we're going to hand out again at the end. This is everything we're going to talk about in ministry here for like the next year and a half at our church. Say that you, did you give that to me so we could be impressed with your planning? No. Let me tell you why we gave it to you. So that you could be intentional about inviting people into your spiritual process. So you got a friend that says, man, my marriage is really, really struggling. And you think, hang on a minute. I know I've read something about that. And you flip in here and you say, you know what? Our, our church in February this year, is doing an entire like month just talking about marriage. Maybe you can come with me. We're going to talk about that thing you're struggling with. You have a friend who says, man, I just don't know. I wish, I wish God would just tell me what I'm supposed to do, but how does anyone know how to hear the voice of God? And you think, hang on, I've seen that somewhere before. And you go back and get your little book and you say, in October and November next year, our church is doing a series. My pastor for a month's going to talk about how to hear the voice of God. Like you, you should come, you should come with me to hear that. Man, how many of you love that hymn that we closed with today? Wasn't that unbelievable that our worship team ended with? Some of you have friends like, man, I'd love to go to church, but that church is just so loud. You know, they play that rock music. They think, wait, 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 wait. Next summer, 
like the whole summer we're going to do hymns and we're going to talk about creeds like that would be a good time for you like all this is is intentional thinking we want you to know what we're going to be talking about because you're going to hear it on a daily basis my marriage my health my kids my family my finances uh, um, I, i'm sick my parents um, my finances how to hear from god you're going to hear these things and we want you to say wait a minute i know where the answers are for that our church is going to be talking about that come and be a part of it it's why we give away little things like these business cards that we're going to give you when you leave today for new series fixer upper because we want you to be aware that we're going to talk about what to do when the dream for your life dies so when you hear somebody talking about giving up on their marriage or their kids or their job you say hang on hang on for six more weeks don't let that dream die our church is going to be talking about how to rebuild the dream for your life just come check it out we want you to be intentional about hearing spiritual needs and directing people to jesus why because jesus says that's the strategy that's how it's going to work and you know what i find out that i found out that final conversations are usually the most remembered and they become the most important because of that. You know, my, my dad was my football coach from ninth grade through my senior year of high school, but really my dad was my football coach from kindergarten through my senior year of high school because I went to practice with him every day as a little guy. The only times I was not at practice with my dad was seventh and eighth grade when I played on my own teams. Every other fall from kindergarten through my senior year, I was at football practice with my dad. And as my head coach for many years, my dad said a lot of things to me. Probably he screamed many things at me. And most of them I don't remember at all. But I remember my last conversation with dad as a coach. Because my, my dad, and I saw him do it year after year after year after year. The last practice of our senior year, dad would take the seniors and he'd put them on the 50-yard line. Then he'd have the junior, sophomores, freshmen line up on the hash marks all the way to the end zone. And he would position himself between the seniors and the other guys. And one at a time, he would have every senior come to him and dad would take just two or three minutes to just speak life into him tell him how much he loved him tell him what he was proud of him for tell him what he believed in him for his future he just kind of speak life into every one of the seniors and thank them for being a part of the program and then he'd let them go and every player would talk to every player and then at the end we would meet in the end zone and I was the last senior my senior year of I think 22 seniors in my really small school that walked to my dad and walked down that tunnel I'd signed a scholarship to play football. I was going to sign in February the next year to go play football at Liberty University. And my dad and I were close. My dad was the best man in my wedding. He's one of my best friends. But our relationship had revolved around football because that's what we did. Not intentionally, it just was what we did. And as I walked to have one final conversation with my coach, dad, I'll never forget dad put his arm around me. And he said, just in case you've ever wondered, you don't ever have to play another snap of football for me to be proud of you. Like, I'm glad we have gotten to do this, but I want you to know you can take all the stuff away. I'm so proud of who you are. And you don't have to play anymore for me. Don't ever play for me. I love you just the way you are. I'll never forget that conversation because it was one of our last and most meaningful in that relationship. Jesus knew how meaningful this final huddle with his team was. And he chose to say this, listen, I'm going to heaven. You're going to go live your life. Here's how it's going to work. As you go, just let everyone know who I am. As you go, just let everyone know who I am. And when we all get, to get together again, there'll be a whole lot more of us than you 11 and me. Listen, Journey, as you go today, 
Jesus' strategy is for you everywhere you go. Just let people know who he is and do a good job representing the best man who ever lived, Jesus. Let's pray together.